Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to a new episode of I Mean, Can We Discuss? And I am your host, Astrid Ferguson. And today I have a special interview lined up for you guys today. I had the pleasure of interviewing award-winning author Abigail Drake, who has spent her life traveling the world and collecting stories wherever she visited. She majored in Japanese and economics in college, y'all. Yes, she did. And is a book hoarder, a coffee drinker, a linguistics geek, as you will hear in this interview, and an eternal optimist. She writes women's fiction and young adult fiction with smart, sassy, funny heroines. And she also enjoys blogging about the adventures of her mischievous Labrador retriever, Capone. Abigail is the winner of the prestigious 2017 PRISM Award for her book, Traveler, and the International Digital Award for her young adult novel, Tiger Lily. In addition, she was named a finalist in the Golden Pen, the Golden Leaf, the Dante Rossetti Book Award, and the Cygnus Award for Science Fiction and Speculative Fiction. Obviously, Abigail is an amazing and extremely talented writer, and she is someone that you should definitely be reading if you're into fun and sassy and all-around romantic and optimistic novels. But I hope that you will listen, enjoy this, have fun, laugh, and take some notes as she drops some gems about the literary world because she is a hybrid author, so to speak, because she has been traditionally published and she has also self-published her novels. So I hope that this will be as informative as it is funny for you guys. I won't keep you guys uh, waiting any longer, so let's dive right on in, guys. You're listening to, I mean, can we discuss? And I am your host, Astrid Ferguson. We will be discussing different issues that can be debated, articulated, chopped up any kind of way. There's no real set way to this. It could be culturally, it could be socially, it could just be how we're feeling today. So you're here for the randomness and I hope you're here to stay. So remember to subscribe, share, and tell me what you think. Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of I Mean Can We Discuss and I'm your host Astrid Ferguson and today I have the pleasure of interviewing a very special guest Abigail Drake. Hi Abigail. Hi Astrid how are you? I'm good how are you? I'm good. Would you rather me call you Abigail or Abby? Abigail's perfect. Okay. I didn't know, you know. I don't know anything. <laughs> Some people have code names, you know. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and where people can find you? Sure. I write women's fiction and I also write young adult fiction. Um, although recently most of what I work on is women's fiction. Um, I'm a mom. I have three sons. I, I call them boys, but technically they're adults, so I can't really... I should call them men at this point. Um, I write full time and I live in Weaver, Pennsylvania with my husband 
and my dog. Um, and you can find me on Facebook at Abigail Drake Writer or on my website at abigaildrake.com. And other things about me, I studied um, Japanese and economics at university, uh, which I live in Beaver, Pennsylvania now, so there's very little opportunity to use my Japanese. So it's a good thing I have another another gig. <laughs> Japanese. Isn't that, that kind of like yeah. difficult? It it was. It was um I had I studied it at the University of Pittsburgh and then I lived in Japan for three years. Um so it, it took me about six months of living in Japan before I felt like I was conversationally fluent. Um, but then after that, uh, I met a Turkish man in Japan and married him. And then I lived in Istanbul and it took me about six months to feel comfortable in, in Turkish so I can speak Turkish as well. Um, so I think six months is kind of like my, my, my time frame, whether I have a background or not. Oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> and a little bit of every culture there. So did you learn how to yeah. write as well in Japanese? I always loved, um, you know, how they use their lettering. Uh, yes. Kanji is the name of their alphabet, which is um, based, well, it's actually the Chinese writing system as well. But the Japanese people wanted to make it a little more difficult. So they combined the Chinese system of writing called Kanji with two other um alphabets, shall we say, that are phonetic, and they're called hiragana and katakana. So because the languages, Chinese and Japanese, are very different, differently structured languages, they needed to have extra sounds and extra words to add to the end of the Chinese characters so they'd make sense in Japanese. Yeah, I'm kind of a linguistic geek, so <laughs> it's, it's a dangerous topic. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. It's very, I speak Spanish. Um, oh, I used to great. say fluent, but you know, now I just call it Spanglish. <laughs> Especially well, the only person I really speak Japanese to now is my husband, um, because he speaks it too. But also, um, I really like to do this random thing while I'll sit by like a Japanese family or something at, at dinner at a restaurant or something and I'll listen to their entire conversation and completely eavesdrop and sometimes it'll be like the kids are getting in a fight or whatever and after I've listened to all their private stuff because they think they have this like cloak of invis invis invisibility or something that nobody can understand them because it looks like there are no Japanese people around them and I wait and then I then I introduce myself and tell them I lived in Japan and I speak Japanese to them and it's just a fun thing to do. <laughs> It sounds very fun. So why don't you tell us what inspired your novels? I know you have two recent novels in the works, uh, Love Chocolate and A Dog Named Al Capone, and The Hocus Pocus Magic. Tell me about that. Yes. Well, The Hocus Pocus Magic Shop came out um, in June, let me think. Yes, it came out in June. And um, it's based on a neighborhood in Pittsburgh called the South Side. So the inspiration for um, the Hocus Pocus Magic Shop and the other book in the series, The Enchanted Garden Cafe, are the, the, is, is actually a place that was the inspiration for them. It's this really funky, hippie, eclectic area. And you never know what you're going to see when you're walking down the street. The, one time I was um, there and I saw some 
uh, nuns wearing habits, brown, they were wearing brown nun costumes. And then there was a man in gold lame with harem pants and knit shirt on writing ne right next to them. So you just never know what you're going to see there. So I love the location. Um, Love Chocolate and a Dog Named Al Capone, it releases on October 15th. And the inspiration for that is my dog. He's named Capone. Um, and he has a Facebook page, which is kind of embarrassing to admit, but um, it started because I have nieces who live in Istanbul and they wanted me to share pictures of the puppy every day. And I didn't want to do it on my regular Facebook page because I thought my friends might not like that very much. Um, so I started a separate page for him and it never occurred to me that other people would be looking at it and reading the stories and, and everything. Um, and before I knew it, there were, my friends were reading it and then people I didn't know were reading it. And now uh, there are people in Iceland and there's a lady in Brazil and there are people all over the world read my little doggy blog. Um, so I decided mostly for my readers that I wanted to write a book that was from Capone's perspective. So the book is a love story, but it's told entirely from the dog's point of view. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting take to take on it. Um, do you mostly just write uh, romantic fiction? Well, women's fiction, but it's funny because women's fiction and contemporary romance are very closely related genres. Women's fiction, the spotlight is slightly more on the woman's journey, the woman in the story. Um, contemporary romance, the spotlight is a little more of the romantic plotline of the story. So I kind of hover between those two. Um, all of my books have some romantic element because I love romance. It's a happy genre. Uh, it's a happy, hopeful kind of genre. <laughs> I understand. Um, but uh, it, it, it's hard to categorize sometimes because some people say, oh, this is definitely a contemporary romance. And others are like, no, 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 this is women's fiction. So it just depends, I guess, on, on the person reading it sometimes. Okay. So is this a genre that you think you're going to stay in or will you one day evolve into something else or... I'm a little genre confused at the moment. I'm Maybe I'm trans genre. I'm not sure. But um, I end up writing what sparks uh, my, my, the story in my head. Um, usually it'll start with I hear a voice or something uh, of a character and I'll hear the character sort of talking in my head, telling me this story, which sounds really crazy, but <laughs> it, it's not. Most writers, I think, have that. Um, but it's it's fun to, to have the freedom to be able to, to write whatever you feel like writing. And that's one of the benefits, I think, of being um, an indie. Now, I'm, I'm actually a hybrid, which I do have some books that are traditionally published, and I have others that are independently published. And I think that's kind of the perfect um, setting that you can have because you can um, reach a wider audience sometimes when you're traditionally published. But if you're also indie, you have the freedom to be more creative and explore different ideas that might not be chosen by um, traditional mainstream publishing. I completely agree because I'm self-published as well, but I just write anthologies. I am nowhere near your altitude of writing. <laughs> 
Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how you come up with characters or how they appear, because I hear that all the time. Like I hear from other characters, I mean, from other authors say that a character comes to them. Um, and maybe to me, I just Mm -hmm. either I'm not as in tune because for me, it's like, I'll have a dream. And then I'm like, wait, what happened? I didn't, it's, she's not back. What (laughs) happened? So I, I don't know. How is it that you know this person's there how to craft the story? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's sort of a mental defect in some ways. Um, But I I read Stephen King's book on writing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's actually called On Writing. Um, And he gave a really interesting um, explanation for how he writes his books. And when I read it, I thought, yeah, that's kind of how I do mine too. Now, this doesn't work for everybody, um, but this is just how I do it. Um, He said that he thinks of a situation and imagines a situation and then he starts hearing the characters voices in his head and he starts writing and he doesn't plot it out he just lets the characters take him where they want to go um if you astrid if you did something like for example if you just sat with absolutely no intention of writing one particular thing and just sat at your computer and did a free write Um, just writing whatever popped into your head, you might be surprised because you might end up being able to find the voice in your writing if you do it. I think sometimes when people are very much like perfectionist and if they like to have everything very plotted out and organized, then I think sometimes that can hinder some of the creative process for certain people. Of course, it also makes it easier when you're at the end of the book and you realize you have a major problem in your plot line I mean if you had plotted that out ahead of time it you might have avoided problems at the end but uh, everybody has a different way of doing um I've done that and usually what ends up spilling out is like poetry and that's why like I can write in prose and I know that you can write a whole novel with prose um you can write in poetry genre as well but um like you said, my problem is perfectionism. I am a perfectionist to the core, and it's but I'm not an organized perfectionist. <laughs> I actually really understand what you're I saying. Know, I know people are probably um, listening um, and like, what? That doesn't make any sense. No, I totally understand. If you saw my office right now, you would understand that I am obviously not a perfectionist when it comes to cleaning my office. Um, but what, here's one thing that I, I learned that kind of rocked my world. Um, I would often start something and I would struggle to, on the first chapter or the first page or the first paragraph or the first sentence. And I'd spend so much time writing and rewriting and redoing it and whatever. Um, First of all, you have to realize that no matter what, it'll never be completely perfect. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you you work on it, there's no such thing as something absolutely perfect. Um, But the other thing and the main thing that I wanted to say is try to write forward. Um, Don't edit as you're writing the story. Um, Keep moving forward in the plot. 
And if you do that, you'll actually make progress and finish stuff. That's kind of a secret. Um, but somebody told me that once and I realized that was what I'd been doing. I would write the first page or whatever. And then the next day I'd go back and say, oh, I want to change this and this and this. Oh, I want her to be a vampire. Oh, I, want I actually don't have any vampires in my writing. But, um, you know, I kept changing things and changing things until the the story that I had thought I wanted to write was gone. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I just quit. Um, but once I learned how to write forward, then I actually was able to finish things. And uh, Capone's actually my 11th novel. Um, my first book came out in January of 2016. So it's been three and a wow. half years. Wow. Um, it's, yeah. Once you start, once you start, you can, you know. But you hit the nail on the head. My problem is that I write and then the edit hat come on, comes on and then I don't like it mm -hmm. and then I get frustrated I leave it alone then I come back it turns into something else <laughs> and it's just <laughs> a frustration and some things that I just write while I'm like in emotional distress comes out perfect and that's usually what people end up uh -huh. really liking like if I'm in the motion of it then you can feel it in my writing. But if I'm writing it and I'm trying to be creative, that's when my editor hat comes on and I don't get anything. Yeah, yeah. Some, some writers are like that. I know writers who have been working on a book for 20 years and never finish it. And that's, I think, most probably why. That and a fear that somebody's going to read it and not like it. They're embarrassed because... Whenever you're showing somebody you're writing, you're, it's, it makes you very vulnerable. Um, you feel like people could judge you for what you're writing. Um, and that's why another thing that you might think about, I don't usually show my first draft uh, to anybody. I don't ask for feedback as I'm writing it. Because I think when you ask too many people for advice or feedback, you end up uh, losing track of what you wanted to tell as your story. And sometimes people are very, um, they aggressively want to help you. <laughs> and so they kind of like, no, you have to do this and you have to do that. Um, I think the truest voice is whenever it's 100% you. Now, some people will not write without a critique partner or a critique group. And, and I understand that. Um, I, I don't actually use a critique partner. I have a fantastic... Uh, developmental editor at this point. And so I get far more from her than I, I would by exchanging with a critique partner, but um, it, whatever works for you. But I do suggest that with the first draft, it's fine to ask somebody if you have questions, like you're kind of stuck on something and say, here's the situation. What do you think my character should do? That's something different. But I don't like anyone. I don't like to have anyone read my first draft until I feel like it's to the point where it's solid. I understand. And I'm the same. I typically, usually when I reach out to someone, um, cause I know of a few writers, um, and I'm a big avid reader as well. It's because I've been frustrated for a while and <laughs> I want someone else's feedback. Um, Sometimes I'm just looking for affirmation or just for them to tell me why, like where it might be the hiccup. Um, 
And sometimes that'll help me get over the hump as well. So. The worst feeling is when you know there's something wrong, but you just can't put your finger on what's wrong. Um, And what has helped me um, is that I started, uh, I joined this group called Mindful Writers. And um, we meet at a restaurant. I don't know if you have Eaton Park in Philadelphia or if that's just a Pittsburgh thing, but it's like a diner. We meet at Eaton Park and we um, meditate together in this private back room. And then we write together for about four hours. And it sounds really crazy, but it's extremely effective. But you can do this at home um, by listening to a guided meditation for writers. Uh, the one that I use is um, written by a friend of mine. Her name's Madhu Wangu. I'll spell that for you in a few minutes. But um, if you listen to these guided meditations at home, whenever you're stuck on something and you just focus on the meditation, eventually you kind of figure out what it is that's wrong. It kind of just clears your head and gives you a path to follow um, for your for for what's going on with your writing. And the other thing that I like to do is take a walk and just keep focusing on the book. Like don't listen to any music. Don't listen to, don't talk to anybody. Don't bring anybody with me. Just, just keep making my mind go back to the book. And there's something about moving. And especially if you're walking in a forest or something, it really helps um, you figure those things out. But the, the person who made the um, meditations that I like, her name's Madhu Bazaz Wangu. It's M-A-D-H-U. And then the last name is W-A-N-G-U. And she's like, this genius, like she has her doctorate in religious studies and her postdoctorate was done at Harvard and she's really cool. And she's an artist too. So I'll definitely uh, look her up and hopefully you guys are getting pointers too. any writers who are listening to this, who are dealing with writer's block. Hopefully this is just as informative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So getting back to your book, Abigail, um, what do you hope people will gain from your book or stories of your, or from your most recent novel? I just want people to have fun with it. Um, if I can make somebody laugh and enjoy a moment of escape, then I feel like my work is done. Um, I don't normally write things that are very dark or very sad. I try to write happy books, optimistic books, because I feel like sometimes times are so dark right now. And I think it's good for people to have an escape and have something positive and optimistic to read. I'm a pretty optimistic person. I'm sort of a Pollyanna kind of person. So that's probably part that's of That's good. You don't want to read my stuff. I write dark. I like reading dark stuff. It's just like I try to be dark and it it doesn't, it's not my personality. So it doesn't really work. I just sound stupid, but I like to read things like that, but I understand. I um, so what would you say is your favorite character from your upcoming book? Well, if you're talking about uh, love chocolate and a dog named Al Capone, um, there are a lot of animal characters in the book and they're all based on actual real animals. Um, So please don't tell my dog this, but my favorite character in that book 
is a pug and his name's Jackson. And he's sort of this slightly lewd, irreverent kind of character, but I really liked him. Um, and he's a real dog owned by a friend of mine. And if you've ever seen pugs, they are the most hilarious looking dogs. I, I don't, they make me laugh just by looking at them. Um, in the Hocus Pocus magic shop, my favorite character is this man uh, named Mr. Dolcha. He's a secondary character. He's not one of the main characters at all. Um, but there's a shop called the Hocus Pocus Magic Shop, and it's owned by this lady named Madame Lucinda. And uh, her niece has come to stay with her. Her niece is a PhD uh, chemistry candidate, and um, she's helping her aunt at the shop. But um, she finds uh, a book of magic spells, and because she's a chemist, she wants to try them out. So she tries out some love spells, and they actually seem to work. But um, Mr. Dolce owns the shop next door, and he's this like cranky old man. But he starts dating my main character, Grace. He starts dating her aunt, and they're they're both elderly people. But it was so much fun, kind of writing their romance because. The aunt is a little bit of a nymphomaniac, and the man is this crotchety old man. So it was it was a delight. So old, fun writing older him. folks romance. That that is <laughs> that's not really my thing. Um, but yeah, that was it was more because his the way he talked and the way he acted. Um, because I lived abroad for so long, and because I lived in in Turkey, you know, in Eastern Europe, um, I I did meet some people that I kind of base Mr. Dolce on. So it was fun. He's Romanian in the book, but still, um, he was fun to write. I don't know. As why. long as it's, it sounds interesting. I think I'm going to get a good laugh out of this one. <laughs> so what is the release so. date of it's love chocolate and a dog named Al Capone, right? The Hocus Pocus magic shop you said was already. already out it's available on amazon and capone is coming out october 15th oh, happy which is birthday my dog's birthday um <laughs> on october 15th yeah he'll be five years old although we didn't think he was gonna make it to his fifth birthday because two weeks ago my dog made a very poor decision and decided to invade a cornfield and steal corn cobs without my knowledge uh, we were walking together but he's very quick and he was able to like grab the corn, shuck the corn, eat the corn. And I didn't even know what he, he was doing it. It was in a matter of seconds, but um, he ended up with five corn cobs stuck in his stomach. So he had to have emergency surgery. <laughs> it was horrible. So I was like housebound for two weeks, taking care of this dog and his incision and all his medicines and everything. But he did make it through. We're very happy to say. And uh, so he will hopefully be around i hope so (laughs) (laughs) listening out there who has a dog never let them have a corn cob it's the most common cause of an obstruction in dogs and it certainly obstructed mine i mean (laughs) he was in bad shape corn corn cobs are good though my son can't get enough of them Not for dogs. Well, he's eating the corn. He's not eating the cob. My dog was eating the whole thing uh, and raw because he was picking it from my cousin's cornfield, I'm sorry to say. So did you always aspire (laughs) to become a writer? No. 
Um, well, I mean, of course I studied Japanese uh, and, and uh, economics at school. I've always been a person who loved words and language and things like that. But when I was little, I really wanted to be a physicist but that was only because I read A Wrinkle in Time. Have you read that book? It's a, a children's book by Madeline Lingle. Um, and the main character is a, 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 it's a family of two physicists who have children. And I thought it was so cool. But then I went to high school and I took a physics class and I lasted exactly two days because I didn't know that physics was actually math. It's just kind of like disguised as science, but it's not. It's math. And I hate math. So I had to change that career path a little bit. But um, when I was studying at university, when I was studying Japanese economics, I took one creative writing class. And the teacher asked me to stay after class one day. And I thought, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble what I do. Um, but he said to me, um, he made me sit down and he looked me in the eye and he said, you're a writer. Do you realize that you're a writer? And I said, oh, yeah, I like it. It's easy for me. You know, I didn't think it was any big deal. And he said, you need to be majoring in creative writing. But I didn't. I stayed in my major and I had all these life adventures and I'm happy for that. But when I, it came a time where I could look back and have a chance, have some time to do some something different, I remembered what that guy said to me. And I remembered how he was so certain that I was a writer. You know, there was no doubt in his mind. And it stuck with me. Those just a few encouraging words said years and years ago. And um, that's part of the reason I, I teach writing classes for children at our local libraries uh, in Beaver County. And I hope that something that I say will inspire someone in my class to, cons to, to realize that they have a gift. And because sometimes it's hard to see when it's something that's your own gift, you don't see it. So my hope is that someday I can do for them what that man did for me. I have no idea what his name was. I can't remember, but it was a nice Isn't guy. Isn't that always how that goes? We can always see the magic in others, but we can't see it in ourselves. Oh, 100%. 100%. And also when it's something like writing I don't know it just feels like it's like oh so what I can write you know I, I can't sing I, I'm a horrible dancer um I can't paint um so I can write what what how does that do anything I that's how I always viewed it um and it wasn't until uh I got older and realized that it, it really is something something special when you have a gift like that and I hope that um people can take a look at themselves more objectively and try to see for what it is and realize your gift might be that you can speak in public. Your gift might be that you're really kind to people. Uh, you're, you're a nurturer. You, everybody has something, um, but sometimes it's very hard to see. You're right. When it's, when it's your own gift. Right. Right. So you said you're a hybrid author, so you've been traditionally published and you have self-published as well. Um, but you have also won several awards. Yes. Congratulations, by the way. Yes, I have. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Sometimes I think I'm addicted to collecting certificates. I, I, I don't know. Um, I entered a a lot of 
contests at various times. Um, when I first started writing, people told me that in order to find an agent, you should have something published already. Uh, so they said it's a good idea to enter contests in magazines. Um, so I did, and I entered, I think, seven contests, and I ended up uh, five of my stories were chosen. They either won or they um, were like an honorable mention or something like that. Then I went through this very long phase where every contest I entered, I was a finalist, which was fantastic. But every single one, I ended up coming in third. So it's like, it's like out of the finalists, I'm the biggest loser, um, which I am happy I was a finalist. It's not it at all. But it wasn't until uh, the PRISM, which is a, a contest that's through Romance Writers of America. It's through their fantasy and paranormal division. Um, that one of my books did win first place, which was a complete shock. And my editor went to the event. It was in Florida um, for me because I couldn't go. And I told her, don't write a speech because there's no way I'm going to win. And she didn't. She listened to me and she didn't write a speech. And then she had to get up and give a speech. So it was kind of funny. Um, but I encourage people um, unpublished and published writers to consider entering contests because first of all, people need that validation that somebody has read their work and considered it valuable or considered it interesting enough that they would, um, that they would vote for it to be a finalist. Um, the validation is important because of course you're very hard on yourself. Uh, when, when you're any kind of artist, um, when you're a writer, you're, you're constantly thinking that your work sucks and um, having that sort of validation from somebody else, especially for unpublished people, is very helpful. And there are tons of contests to enter. Um, and I, I think it's just a way for you also to get over the fear of putting yourself out there. Like if you're brave enough to send things to a contest, then the next step is you'll be brave enough to send things to an agent or an editor or publish it independently, whatever route that's, you choose to that's, go. That's um, awesome. And let's unpack that a little bit because um, you kind of breeze through that. So, <laughs> so you submitted to the contest. So um, obviously these contests have windows, right? And like, is there like requirements for you to submit to these contests? Like, do you need to have a certain amount of books under your belt or? No, 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 not at all. Um, some contests have certain rules, like, um, for example, Romance Writers of America, their big, big prize is called the Rita. Um, and in order to um, submit your work for the Rita, I do believe you have to be a member of Romance Writers of America. Some of the other contests by the um, local chapters of Romance Writers of America, like we have a Pittsburgh chapter called Three Rivers Romance Writers, and there's one in Northeast Ohio. There, sure, there's one in Philly. I don't know uh, where it is or what it is, but um, for those kind of contests, like you'll just pay a slightly higher fee to enter the contest. Most, most contests, there is a fee, um, and they, a lot of organizations use this, these contests to, um, to finance their group or whatever. So the fees go towards that. Um, but it's, there are so many different ways to enter and, and there are contests that cost 
a lot more to enter and there are contests that are either free or very low charge um, and you can kind of um, it, sometimes it's hard to figure out which ones are the ones you should enter because you might have heard of one before or thought you heard of it but maybe it's not as prestigious as another one that would mean a lot more that you haven't heard of so you kind of have to do your research and talk to other writers and ask them you know what they suggest which contests were good for them now for somebody who isn't published yet i love the contests that give feedback um i think that's really useful a lot of the contests are only like for the first few pages of a manuscript or something like that but getting that feedback um, can be can be very helpful and usually the people who judge these contests are are very kind and gentle about the feedback they offer that's so. good to know because i know nice for poetry there's like the pulitzer award there's the pen yeah. award there's a lot of different ones um yeah, and there are lots of journals, poetry journals, and um, I don't write poetry myself. I'm horrible at poetry, I'm sorry to say. Um, but um, there are lots of, like you mentioned anthologies, but there are also journals and things like that that are published like maybe once a quarter or- Oh know, yeah, the literary magazines. Year, twice a year or something for those. like that. Yes. Yes, those are good. And you just never know um, which one's gonna gonna stick. Uh, so, sometimes you'll enter contests. I entered the prism, I entered two books, I entered my young adult book, um, it's called Star Valentine. And I entered um, Traveler, which is a paranormal romance. And Star Valentine is a sci fi uh, young adult. But anyway, I was convinced that Star Valentine was going to final. I just was so sure. And then I got a call and I said, oh, this must be, they must be about to tell me that Star Valentine's finaled in this, but it wasn't Star Valentine. <laughs> Star Valentine didn't make the cut. It was the book that I didn't, I wasn't even gonna submit Traveler. I just thought, ah, what the heck, I'll, I'll submit to. Um, and I'm glad I did because you never know what someone's gonna like and it's, it's a matter of, of luck. It's a matter of serendipity. If you find the, the right person at the right time with the right poem or the right book, it's, it's, I'd say half of it is ability and half of it is luck. Absolutely right. So can you tell us, because you're one of the first hybrids that I've had on here, um, in the process of looking for an agent, mm -hmm. um, did you do that after you received the awards or was it a particular place that you went to to find agents for you to submit your book? Yeah. Yes, I, um, I, the first thing I did, I wanted to be completely traditional when I first started out. Um, so I won a little couple little short story awards in a, in a magazine called Writer's Digest, no, Writer's Journal, I'm sorry, Writer's Journal, which is now defunct. Um, so you can't enter a contest there anymore. Um, but I started using this um, 
website. It's called querytracker.net. That's Q-U-E-R-Y and then tracker, T-R-A-C-K-E-R.net. And it's a free service. And what it is, is you, you sign up for membership and it's free. You can, you can pay and get like a more, like, uh, uh, how can I say a fancier membership, but um, there's no need to do that, especially if you're only submitting one book at a time. If you're submitting multiple books, then you might want to, you know, spend the $20 or whatever it is to get the professional level membership. But um, when you go into Query Tracker, you can say which genre, what, first of all, you decide, are you looking for an agent or a publisher? And then you say what your genre is. So when I went on, I had my, it was my book, Star Valentine, and I was looking for someone who represented young adult and then sci-fi. And that narrowed the list down. Like when you put young adult in, you get a bunch of agents. And then when you narrow it down to young adult sci-fi, then that shortens the list. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do something crazy and start at the end of the alphabet. So I did. And I, I chose an agent that was towards the end of the alphabet and I sent her um, uh, well, first of all, every time you do this, you need to go to the agent's website, make sure they are accepting submissions, make sure you know their guidelines, make sure you submit exactly as they say. Some agents will want five pages, some agents will want 50 pages. Some agents want it sent as an attachment, some want it uh, cut and paste onto an email. You have to read everything very carefully. Um, so I submitted to this, this person and five minutes later, I got a response. And I, even though I'm Pollyanna, I was feeling very negative that day. And I thought, oh, it's an auto reject. Because sometimes when agents aren't taking new clients, there's an auto email that returns to you saying, sorry, we're not taking any new, any new writers right now. Um, but it wasn't an auto reject. She asked me to see my full manuscript. So I sent it to her and I signed with her four days later. Um, and we were together for a few years and then, um, I decided that I kind of wanted to go off on my own. She was a great lady and a wonderful agent, but I, I write so quickly and I write in so many different genres that I felt a little bit caged in, you know, by having an agent and, and it worked out well for me. Uh, so I, after we broke up, I sold three books on my own in just a couple weeks. So you can wow. do it on your own. I mean, you, there are yeah, ways there are ways, and I think you could probably attest to this. You actually make more money on your own. <laughs> oh yes, you do. Well, but there are different different reasons to do it, Astrid. I mean, um, you can go strictly traditional, um, which is kind of a difficult uh, route, but you can you can do it. Um, the other option is to go with a, a small press, sort of like a boutique press. Now, the good thing about doing that is that you can submit without having an agent, which is wonderful. Um, and they take care of all the expenses. They pay for your editor. They pay for your cover. They um, put your book up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everywhere. Um, but the thing is, you will make very little money <laughs> from the book. Um, and once you've done it with a few uh, small publishers, some people feel comfortable enough that they decide to self-publish. 
and invest invest the money to do that. The key to self-publishing successfully is to make sure that you're doing a professional job. And with each book that I've written, I've invested the money I made from the previous book into making my other books better. So I'm able to hire, you know, a developmental editor as well as a line editor, as well as a copy editor. Um, I'm able to hire a professional cover artist. These kind of things are really important. And um, I also work with a publicist now. Uh, so that's been a, a very big investment, but you have to realize like you've got to, you've got to be able to invest not only money, but also time in your writing. It's, it's a business. Maybe this is because I have a degree in economics, but I look at it as a capital expense. You don't have really startup costs because all you need is a laptop, right? But you still need to consider it a bit to be a business and to think about reinvesting in your business and investing in your business and investing in yourself. I completely agree. I mean, writing is a business in itself, and you have to think about why you're writing, who you're writing it for, and what platform you plan on building from your writing. So all of that is necessary. Um, so definitely. Let me ask you these last few questions. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, no, that's okay. This is turning track. into a let's talk about <laughs> Abigail's book to let's give lessons on writing. <laughs> Teacher. I mean, I'm not a teacher by profession, but I teach writing classes all oh, the that, time. That's cool because so I mean, I love to talk hopefully about one day stuff, so. I'll be teaching people how to self-publish as well, at least the semantics of it. I know, right? And you <laughs> With all these hiccups we had. <laughs> yeah. I know. So do you have any upcoming events or book signings that you want to share with us today? Sure. Um, on Saturday, I'm uh, at one of my favorite signings of the year. It's called the Beaver County Book Fest, and it's held in, in Beaver, PA. It's September 7th. Um, because it's my town, um, everyone comes and it's fun to see everybody. And it's a very big event. There are about 75 authors and it's sort of become a literary event in our area, which I love. I love being a part of that. Um, the other event I'm doing is on September 21st, I believe it is. And it's um, the Festival of Books in the Allegheny. Uh, that's in Somerset, Pennsylvania. So it's also in Western Pennsylvania. And that's another fun event in, in a beautiful place and okay awesome a, a so nice again it's love chocolate and a dog named Al Capone and that comes out October 15th and you have your upcoming 15th. events in PA are you going to be going to any awesome. other states not Right now, um, I haven't gotten my schedule yet for the for January on, um, but it's been sort of a crazy transitional time in my life because my youngest son just went to college, 
Um, so we did a lot of moving kids back and forth to different places over the summer. So I was waiting for that to cool down and then I can start um, okay, going well, to more events again. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Abigail, and for all your patience with me. <laughs> oh, it's I been know. Delightful Finally do so this. I'm to be able to talk to you tonight. <laughs> Oh no, that's okay. You and I could go on for hours. I'm I'm trying to keep the kids downstairs so I can (laughs) see. That's the other problem with me. It's finding the time. It's tough with little kids. You know, it's it's funny because when my kids were small, I that was my big uh, problem. It was about trying to find the time to do it. And I've discovered that even now, it's about, I have nothing but time. It's wonderful. But it's a matter of being disciplined enough to use that time effectively. And so I have to, like, be very serious about my work day and start at a certain time and take a lunch break at a certain time and, you know, keep on a schedule because otherwise. Yeah, I can understand. I could definitely use more sleep. So. Yeah. So, yeah. so thank you so much, cool. Abigail. And I'll talk to you at another time or catch you at one of your events. Thanks. Uh, bye for now. That's great. Thanks, Astrid. Goodbye. that was a wrap for today thank you so much for listening to i mean can we discuss don't forget to subscribe follow us if you want to see what we're up to what projects we're up to and enjoy the rest of your day night wherever you might be i was your host astra ferguson signing off